Welcome to the Inclusive Growth Show with Toby Milden. Future-proofing your business by creating a diverse workplace. Hey there, thank you ever so much for tuning into this episode of the Inclusive Growth Podcast. I'm Toby Milden, and today I'm really excited to be joined by today's guest, Heather, because she uh, talks about a topic that I don't think we often talk about a lot within the field of diversity and inclusion, and that's um, around the bias of accents and the way that we speak and the language that we use. So um, today's guest, Heather Hansen, uh, is a TEDx speaker. Her TEDx talk is called Two Billion Voices, How to Speak Bad English Perfectly. And she's also the author of a really great book, Unmuted, How to Show Up, Speak Up and Inspire Action. So Heather, it's really great to have you on the show today. Thank you for joining me. Thanks so much for having me, Toby. I'm excited about our conversation. Heather, um, before we get into the meat of the conversation, because we've got three topics to talk about today. So we're going to talk about inclusive leadership skills, uh, inclusive cultures and diversity and representation. Could you just let us know a bit more about who you are, your background and, and what you do? Sure. Well, I was born and raised in California, but I've lived outside of America for the past 21 years almost. Um, I lived a number of years in Denmark with my Danish husband, and then I've lived almost 13 years here in Singapore, where I'm currently based and where I run a speech and communication training firm called Global Speech Academy. So I grew up tying this to accents and how we speak with a very privileged, globally recognized, what's seen as quite general American accent. But then I studied German at university. I have a bachelor's degree in the German language and studied and worked abroad in the German language and then also now speak Danish fluently. And I've struggled with the bias that I've experienced in those other languages. And it was only then that I realized how lucky I really was in the world to speak English, first of all, and with a easily recognizable accent. And that is when I decided I really wanted to focus on this subject because I don't think people realize what immense privilege we have by being born into this language. So all of that has sort of come together over the past 15 years in my training firm where I coach and train individuals, primarily in multinational organizations based here, headquartered in Singapore uh, and throughout the region, uh, helping them to communicate and speak up and show up in the workplace and really own their voices. Yeah, that's it's, it's really cool. And I, I like how you've touched on privilege, actually. We had a podcast guest uh, who wrote a really good book where she talks about privileges and she lists in her book uh, 50 different types of privileges and one of those was speaking English. Um, Yay, I'm glad she included that. Yeah. I feel like it's always left off the list and it's so important that we recognize it. Absolutely. I mean, one of the things that I know you talk about is encouraging cultures of, of open listening, which I think mm -hmm. is an important part of creating an inclusive culture and being an inclusive leader and one of those skills that that leaders should be developing to be an inclusive leader. Can you just expand a bit more about why, why you encourage open listening? Mm -hmm. 
this is probably the most important skill that we need to develop as leaders and really at every level of the organization by really listening to the meaning behind the message, especially when we are in global environments, multilingual, multicultural environments, and really with any type of diversity, we need to be really open to listening to others and inviting others into the conversation. And I think that second part of inviting others in is equally important. So it's not just listening to those who are speaking, but also monitoring who has not spoken, inviting them into the conversation, making sure that there's a voice at the table. And and that's really what it's about in the organization. And what about cross-cultural communication? Because I know this, again, this is another thing that you talk about, but interestingly, um, cross-cultural communication is one of the six signature traits of um, Deloitte's inclusive leadership model. So there's mm. there's synergies there. What, what's your kind of thoughts on that? Cross-cultural communication has to be remembered across the board. And we need to reframe it somewhat because a lot of people look at cross-cultural meaning big C national culture. And that actually says very little about who we are as individuals. I mean, okay, I hold an American passport, but I haven't lived in America for over 20 years. I was, how old was I? 22, I think, when I left the country. I've never been a grown-up there. I finished university and I left. I never owned a car. I never had an apartment. I never had insurance. It's a foreign country for me. So yes, it shaped my upbringing. It shaped a lot of who I am. But if you walk up to me and treat me the way you expect an American in your mind, whatever that means to respond well to, it may backfire. It might not work. And when we work in really global environments, I think we recognize this more and more because everyone has a story and we come from all different places. And so when we talk about cross-cultural communication and cultural intelligence, it's more than national culture. It's all the micro-cultures we're a part of. So being an English speaker, that is a culture. Um, being a wine lover is a culture. <laughs> being a sports fan is a culture. Culture, and each of them play a part in creating the filter through which I see the world and how I behave and interact with others. So we need to broaden that definition of cross-cultural communication to include how we are interacting with anyone, any individual who is different from us, which is really every single individual we meet all day, every day in our work and our lives. Definitely. I know when I talk to my clients, I get them to think about cultures within their own organization. Because when I worked at the BBC, um, you know, the culture of working in technology was very different to the culture of people making TV programs or radio programs. Yes. And to be a successful leader within the BBC, which is one organization, you had to be able to transcend different, different cultures, different ways of working. Absolutely. What about um, accent bias? Uh, I like this topic a lot. I, I, I've seen it. I've, I've had, I've, you know, I've got lots of sort of stories of clients who talk about accent bias, about the assumptions or the presumptions or the stereotypes that people make about them when they start to speak and hear and pe how people hear them. How does accent bias work? How does it impact hiring mm -hmm. decisions, leadership progression mm -hmm. within an organization, that kind of thing? Yeah, that's a really big question, Toby. <laughs> But let's try to I know simplify we, we it. We don't do easy questions on this on this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> well, there's a few things we have to understand about accent bias first, and the first one is that 
it, you do not have to be a foreign language speaker. So you don't have to be coming into English as a second, third, fourth, fifth language. There's plenty of accent bias just among ourselves, the, the people who were born into the language. And an enormous amount of research has been done within the UK and also the United States, but some very recent research from Accent Bias Britain. For any listeners who are interested in that, I would definitely encourage you to look into it. They have looked at, especially in the UK context, among native speakers of English, how accent bias is playing out in the workplace. And we know that it's affecting hiring decisions. We know that especially in the UK, it has a lot to do with economic class and upbringing and education. So you will immediately hear where someone is from. And in the back of your mind, you will immediately attach some some subjective meaning to that based on how you've been raised, how you've grown up, what your own economic classes and your educational background. Foreign language speakers and foreign accents are another class in themselves where there's also a very specific ranking of the good foreign accents and the bad. When I lived in Denmark, my American accent was actually a really good one to have. It was considered charming. Now, if you came from anywhere in the Middle East or were a refugee from Syria or from Africa, believe me, that accent on your Danish was not seen as charming. And there was a very different reaction. So you can also see how accent can be very closely linked to race and ethnic discrimination in the workplace. And this does come out in hiring and promotion decisions. We see it even outside of the workplace in healthcare, in, um, in the courtroom, when judges are deciding on parole or sentencing, when witnesses are being heard by juries, the way we sound impacts so much of how people view view us, listen to us, and whether or not they choose to understand us. What do you feel um, organizations should be doing to try and mitigate this kind of bias going on? Well, what's really interesting and what Accent Bias Britain just discovered through their research was the one thing that made the biggest difference in hiring decisions, for example, was simply having a statement at the top of the hiring manager's forms, reminding them that accent bias is a real issue and for them to please be aware and not take that into consideration in their hiring decisions. So what we're finding is the simple act of raising awareness about accent bias is actually making the biggest impact in mitigating the risk of having discrimination in the workplace because of it. Now, obviously, that's also the very first step you have to take before you can take any other actions like training or talking about microaggressions and what they look like and sound like. Um, you first need to know accent bias exists. So it could just be that this is an early enough stage of this topic in our discussions that that is making the biggest impact at this time. So obviously, um, you know, the work that you do is a lot around communication. You've written the book Unmuted and you're, you're a TEDx speaker as well. So why do you feel that communication is not a skills problem to be mm -hmm. solved by more training, but something that it's at the core of, of company culture? Yeah, that was a big reason why I wrote Unmuted, because I was getting so frustrated with getting those calls from HR at the end of the year saying, OK, Heather, we're planning our training calendar for next year. We need you to come in and do two days presentation skills training. And we need you to coach this person on their articulation. And we need some coaching here and there. And they were these simple tick the box 
uh, one day interventions. And that is not what is going to help us become more inclusive communicators. This is a process. It is a culture. Sure, skills training is a very small part of that. If you truly do not have the skills to give a presentation, then of course, we want to train you to be confident in that skill set. But much deeper than that is how we are communicating internally and even externally with clients and stakeholders within the company, the culture that we have created. Is it a culture of open listening? Do people feel psychologically safe? Do they feel that they have a voice at the table? Can they speak up without negative repercussions. And if that culture is being tended to, then people can really be a part of an inclusive organization, but not before. Uh, So we really need to go a lot deeper than simple training programs. It's much more of an intervention or a transformation, which is what I'm now working with my clients on through, through the unmuted journey, where we look at conscious, confident, and connected communication and creating that as a culture in the organization. Absolutely. I mean, you and I are on the same page on that. I I get really frustrated when somebody rings me up and asks me if I can just go along and do like a one hour lunch and learn. And then they they feel like, well, we've ticked the diversity box this year. Um, Let's Mm -hmm. move on to um, something else. And, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, I say to them, yes, I I can come and do a, a one hour webinar for you. But how is this fitting into your, your, your bigger, more holistic diversity and inclusion strategy and what kind Mm -hmm. of culture change are you expecting to see in the business because if it does fit into that bigger piece of the puzzle then great I'll, I'll come along and do do a session for you but if it's not about shifting the culture creating a more inclusive work environment for your people I'm probably not the best person to uh to invite Mm -hmm. along If your company has a great diversity and inclusion strategy, if your organization has an amazing work culture where productivity is peaking, if the best talents in your industry are working for you, if all your employees are happy and feel included, then feel free to skip this message for about 30 seconds and continue listening to the podcast interview with Toby. But if you feel that your company is lacking in any one of these areas, your employer reputation is taking a hit. Toby Milden is one of the UK's leading diversity and inclusion experts who has helped top companies like Deloitte, the BBC, Sony Pictures and Centrica, as well as numerous scale-up businesses who want an outstanding inclusive culture. To go further in your diversity and inclusion journey, log on to Toby's webinar at www.milden.co.uk forward slash free hyphen webinar to accelerate your company's diversity and inclusion strategy in 40 minutes. Thanks for listening. And now back to the podcast interview with Toby. I know the other area that you get involved in, and I think we could probably both geek out about this a little bit because, you know, with my background in technology is around AI and uh, um, speech data within AI. And it's something I personally can relate to because I've got a disability. Uh, I rely on speech to text software to use my computer. I do know friends who English is not their first language or they've got an accent and this technology doesn't work as well for them as it does for me Mm -hmm. um, because I've got Mm -hmm. a fairly neutral British accent I would say. Um, I grew up in the West Country so if you get me on the cider occasionally my West Country (laughs) accent comes out and I start start sounding like a pirate. Um, But 
your, your experience in AI, um, why do we need to explore diversity mm. of voices and speech within, within the AI world? Yeah. Well, you mentioned one of the reasons, which is to make it more accessible. So you're absolutely right. People with foreign accents have a much more difficult time or even what are considered more out of the norm native accents. I mean, even someone from Ireland can have difficulty with speech recognition. Uh, so native speakers are, are also hit by this. If you aren't the typical general American or RP speaker or something very neutral from the UK, so that is the first one, accessibility. And we see this not only with accent specifically, but also the ways that we speak. There have been some studies showing that women and even worse, ethnic minority women, if they record a video on YouTube and the auto subtitling, women will always have less accurate subtitles than men and our ethnic minority women will be even worse. So we see it coming out in interesting places like that where different voices, different genders, different types of people are not being recognized in the same way. When the iPhone came out in Singapore, Siri couldn't be used by Singaporeans because it could not understand Singapore English. So this, this comes up all over the world in different ways. Another huge problem that we're seeing is our apps, which I don't personally agree with, which are helping people with their accent. And you'll speak into the app and it will tell you, yay, you are... 82% native. And I have to say on one particular app, I was only 92% native. So I'm not exactly sure what they're judging against. But the, the AI technology, as you know, is only as good as what we feed it with. And, and so we have to be very, very careful that we're being incredibly inclusive in the types of language that we feed AI with. Um, the last example, which is probably the saddest, another way I'm seeing AI te technology being used is by one company that was targeting primarily call centers in India. And the founders had all been working in call centers before. So they've experienced accent bias at its worst, where they have someone call from the US, they need IT support, and they can't be understood. And they end up getting low ratings. You know, they, they can't put food on the table if they lose those jobs. So they've developed an accent translator where the person in the call center can basically call John in Minnesota and press a button so that he can sound like someone from the Midwest of America and mirror the accent of the person he's calling so that he doesn't face the bias. And I understand why that could be needed and necessary, but I also think it's a really sad representation of how big of a problem this really is. It is. I, I, I feel really sad by that because it's almost like people are having to mask who they really are mm -hmm. in order to kind of fit in to another culture. Yeah. And it goes mm -hmm. back to your point earlier about being able to, to work cross-culturally and have cross-cultural yes. communications and, mm -hmm. and, and be aware of our bias so that it doesn't yes. get the better of us. And I know a lot of your listeners right now will be saying, yeah, but some people are just really hard to understand. You just can't understand them. Like, that's not my fault, right? I mean, that's the kind of reactions that we have. Um, but we've also seen in a number of studies that we can be very subjective in what we understand and what we don't understand. 
So we can hear an accent that reminds us of some experience from childhood or that last time you called a call center or some frustrating experience. And we can actually choose to say, oh, this accent's too heavy. I can't understand it. And we turn off and we don't listen. When actually, if you were asked to dictate, you would be able to do that word for word. So, so there, there are some choices we're making here about how much effort we're putting into the listening as well. Absolutely. And I think it goes back to listening. And also, I don't know if this is a bit of a cliche, but I, I've seen some numbers floating around somewhere that actually communication, like 90% of, of our communication is, is down to body language and mm. tonality um, and not so much the yeah, actual Yeah, the visual and the vocal. Said. Right, right. Well, we can do so much more outside of language, right? We put so much focus on the grammar being perfect, the language being the right word, the right pronunciation, when really you need very little language to communicate. We can do so much with voice and tone and gesture. I mean, anyone who has traveled anywhere in Europe and been to other countries and spoke, been with people with a language you don't speak, it's amazing how much you can figure out if you really need to and if you're really making the effort. Yeah. What I find particularly interesting is the the bias and the stereotypes or as Werner Myers, um, who's one of my diversity and inclusion heroes, says, it's the stories that we make up about people before we get to know them. Yes. Um, and particularly around accents. So if you if you hear somebody with a really thick Brummy accent or a Liverpudlian accent or Scottish accent, it's like, what assumptions are you making about that person? Mm-hmm. Um, and how is that affecting your decision making if you're in a position of power and privilege, like you're exactly. doing a job interview, for example? And I find that really interesting. And I remember when I worked at the BBC, I worked with a, a very senior manager who he'd been at the BBC for a very long time before I joined. And he grew up in the north and moved down to London to work for the BBC. And when he first worked for the BBC, he said that he he felt like he really stuck out because he had a northern accent. And everybody yes. in the BBC had this kind of like received pronunciation <laughs> accent. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know, that that story really stuck with me because uh, he didn't, yeah. didn't really strike me as having a particularly strong accent. Maybe it changed over, over the years. Um, but, you know, he, he was made to feel like he didn't quite fit in because of, yes. because of his accent. Mm-hmm. And that's still a big conversation at the BBC. Even very recently, there's a new documentary out around that where it's still, it is a minority of presenters who speak with regional accents. Although many, many years ago, BBC opened it to others than RP, Queen's English speakers. But for, for the history of the BBC, that was the focus and, and what was acceptable. And to the point that around the world, we call it BBC English. Uh, so, but that they're trying to change that. But in practice, it still has a long way to go. Absolutely. So the, the question that I ask everybody when they come on this podcast is what does inclusive growth mean to you? For me, it's simple. It's everyone having a voice at the table. That's all it is, making sure that everyone has a voice. And if the person listening to us right now wants to get a a, a copy of your book, Unmuted, where where should they go? They can go to heatherhansen.com slash unmuted. Brilliant. Well, Heather, thank you ever so much for joining me today. Um, I've learned loads from you. I think what I learned is that it's really important that we consider language as part of the culture of an organization that we're, that we're trying to create, 
that helps us be more inclusive leaders. Um, there's some skills in there that we need to develop, like open listening and, and really hearing people. But I think being particularly mindful about accent bias, because we talk about lots of different biases, mm -hmm. but I don't think accent bias is one of those that we often talk about. And I really liked how you shared like a really practical tip of just putting a note at the top of your hiring manager's toolkit to say, please be aware of, of accent bias in, in your decision making. Um, and then also, I, th I found it really interesting around AI and, and how there's bias that's showing up in the technology that we're developing and how that is affecting the accessibility and the usability of this software that I can only imagine we're just going to be using more of in, in the future. So, yeah, Heather, thank you ever so much for, for joining me today. Well, thanks for having me. This has been so fun. Thanks so much for all the work you're doing as well. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. Um, and thank you for tuning into today's episode of the Inclusive Growth Podcast um, with Heather and myself. Hopefully uh, you took away some really interesting hints and tips and things that you can take back to your own organization. If Heather can help you in any way, please do reach out to her through her website or go and get a copy of her book, Unmuted, um, and also check her out on the uh, on TEDx and watch her, her, her talk on TEDx. Until the next time, uh, take good care of yourself and I'll see you on the next episode of the podcast, which will be coming up very soon. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Inclusive Growth Show. For further information and resources from Toby and his team, head on over to our website at milden.co.uk.